having an organization that exists to bring on new protocol developers and fund existing protocol developers brings much more benefit to Bitcoin than I could by writing code or reviewing code. Hello there from Bedford in the United Kingdom. How are you all? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by the Mighty Kraken, the best place to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And today I've got an interview with John Newbury. We're going to be discussing the very important topic of funding open source development. But before that, I've got a message from my amazing show sponsors. Okay, we're going to kick it off with Casa, who are the best in Bitcoin security. Have you got your security sorted? You know, with Bitcoin hovering above 19,000, threatening to break through 20,000, some of you might be sat on a nice stack, or over the next year, some of you might be building up a nice stack. And it's really important you get your security together. About six months ago, I was the same. I was like, shit, I need to get this sorted. And I reached out to Casa and I got myself set up. And now I am protected from hackers, personal mistake, in-person attacks, device failure, and so much more. I didn't want to be one of those stories of somebody who screwed up and lost all their Bitcoin, and you don't want to be either. Now listen, Casa is so amazing, they've got a product for every Bitcoiner. With Casa Gold, you get triple the security of a hardware wallet, and that's for only $10 a month. With Casa Platinum, you get their 3 or 5 multi-sig. Now this is the best protection for large Bitcoin holders, and it comes at a really great price. And with Casa Diamond, you get their full service offering. This includes a customized personal security review, inheritance planning, and of course, their best-in-class security. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get that total peace of mind. Find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Next up, I'm going to talk to you about Otis. Now, Otis is an investment platform that makes it possible for almost anyone to invest in shares of cultural assets, from contemporary art to rare collectibles, sports cards, memorabilia, sneakers, comics, and much more. So here's how it works. You download the app and you can sign up for free. New assets are dropped in the app weekly for you to buy shares in. You can also buy shares of pass drops from other Otis members. And you can earn a potential return if Otis sells the underlying asset for more than the price the item was dropped for, or by selling your shares to other Otis members on the Otis trading platform. I've signed up and checked it out. They've got some cool sneaker investments. They've got the 1985 Air Jordan 1 collection. And you know I love modern art. So it's great to see some art up there, including some Banksy work too. Right now, Otis is offering a free investment share to listeners of my show. All you have to do is go to withotis.com forward slash WBD and sign up to get your first share for free when you fund your account. That is withotis.com, which is W-I-T-H-O-T-I-S dot com forward slash W-B-D. And lastly, let's talk about sportsbet.io. Come on, have you checked them out yet? They are the best place for online gaming because they accept Bitcoin because they're badasses. But more than that, they're Bitcoin fans. I've told you this before. I went out to Estonia. I've hung out with the team. I've seen what they're doing with Bitcoin. They put a Bitcoin logo on a Premier League shirt. Yes, on the front of the Southampton shirt. And I'm going to get a few of those soon to give away because I love you all. Now, with Sportsbet, you have every market you could possibly be interested in, from the Premier League to US Sports. And for new customers, they have a range of promotions available. Just head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions. And that is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T io forward slash promotions okay so onto the show today and i've got john newbury back on the show and look this is a really important topic yes it might not be as exciting as talking about bitcoin going to the moon but the bitcoin we love requires devs to be funded john is a bitcoin core developer and when i last interviewed him that was out in new york at chainco's labs where he was working but he recently left the role there and is opening up a bitcoin research and development center right here in london Funding developers is something that we should all massively care about. If we want Bitcoin to be as successful as possible, we need to be able to attract the best developers. And when there is no central company or dev fund, this can be hard. It requires people like John to actively get out there and raise funds and distribute it. So where does the money come from? Ultimately, it's from the community and the companies that make money from Bitcoin who have an interest in it succeeding and chipping in and supporting developers. We're seeing more and more of this, which is really promising. You know, in a couple of my interviews recently, I asked Brian Armstrong and Coinbase and also the Winklevoss brothers, and both of them started funding developers, which is cool, but we need more of it. So this is a super important show. I hope you listen to it. I hope you relay the messages out there. I hope you share it out there. Anyway, I'll let you listen to the show now. Um, as ever, if you've got any questions, you want to reach out to me, my email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. As I say, I reply to everyone, and I've had a lot of emails recently, and I do get through them eventually. Outside of that, check out Defiance. Episode 4 of Chaos is out. 
That's at defiance.news. Also, looking at a couple of new brand launches next year, which could be quite interesting. Looking forward to 2021 because it has been an amazing year. Anyway, have a great weekend. Love you all. See you all next week. Morning, John. How are you? Hi, Peter. I'm doing well. How are you? Not bad. So last time we spoke, I flew all the way to New York to, to sit next to you and have a conversation. Now we're uh, in a very different world where we're actually... I, I wouldn't really have had to get on a plane to come and see you right now, but uh, we can't even sit in the same room. Nope. Nope. It's 2020. 2020, man. So how, how's 2020 been for you? It's been interesting. It's been interesting for everyone, but um, the biggest change has been moving back to the UK. So I'm currently back in London. Yeah. Why, why did you move back? It was time. I, I left the UK in 2010, so it's been 10 years. And... Um, just wanted to be closer to family and friends. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. You glad to be back? Is it, was settling back okay? You missing <laughs> missing anything about the US? Well, everything I miss, I miss from before March. You know, my my life in New York disappeared in March. Didn't get right. to go into the chain code office. Uh, didn't get to do all the other things I love there. So, yeah, I miss them, but it's not. I don't miss them because I moved back to England. I miss them because they, they disappeared with the rest of the world. Um, and yeah, it's nice to be back. It's um, it's interesting. It's not it's not the same as when I left it. Um, and I'm not seeing as many people as I thought I might, but that will change. Well, at least you won't have such a bitter winter because I can't remember if it was that trip I went on. I don't know how I'd done it. I, I must have been to the states around ten times, and then I hit a winter in the states, and I'd never hit. I, some, for some reason, I'd never hit hit a winter. Those uh, New York winters are. So freaking cold. <laughs> yeah, they're brutal. They can be. They really can be. A couple of years ago, it was very, very cold. Last year was not so bad, but yeah, it can be really cold there. So, I mean, UK is not so bad. Just got four months of rain ahead of us. So, <laughs> yeah, okay. after the last four months of rain, <laughs> there was. I'm sure we had a. We had a. We had a couple of weeks of sun. I'm pretty sure, but I was locked in the house like everyone else. So. I didn't see it. Anyway, anyway, we're here to talk about development, open source dev. You're going to teach me everything about open source dev today. So I'll tell you where we'll start. Yeah, Bitcoin's now, what, nearly 12 years old. Is it nearly, yep. is, is it, yeah, nearly 12 years old. Mm -hmm. We've clearly got more people working on it than ever before. Yep. But we still don't have enough. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think, I think more is needed. Someone, I was on a podcast recently and the host asked me, is there enough funding for open source developers in Bitcoin? And my answer there was that you can answer that question in, in lots of different ways. One is I look at the people who I think need funding right now, and I think they're mostly funded. Um, so the, the, there's two sides to this. There's a the supply of skilled and experienced protocol engineers, and then there's uh, the supply of money to pay those people. Um, and we need both to go up in concert. You know, we, we can't, if we run ahead of the amount of skilled developers in funding, then all that additional funding will do is either go to unskilled developers or we'll go to bidding up the price for the, the scarce asset, which is the uh, protocol developers. Um, and if we run ahead in terms of the number of people who know how to develop the protocol without funding, then those people won't be able to support themselves. So we need both. We need to increase the number of people who can work on the protocol and um, at the same time increase the funding so we can pay those people and they can do that for a living. Do, do we know what the ratio is of those people who are funded in relation to those people who are kind of like hobby hobbyist contributors? Um, I don't, but the, it's a power distribution. So if you look at the mailing list or the repository there's a small number of people who do the vast majority of the contributions in terms of i think one of the reasons is that as soon as as you start making impactful changes you know this is the thing that you want to spend all your time on and you somehow find funding yeah um, I, I think that's the same for most open source projects it's a you know it's a power distribution where most of the work is done by a, a small fraction of the people is there anything else like Bitcoin where 
you have um, people contributing like this, but there's this active need to find funding for them. Is this a, is this the same as um, anything else? I don't know other open source projects as well, but one thing that is different about Bitcoin is many of those other open source projects are centralized around some organization. It might be mm-hmm. a foundation um, that is set up explicitly to guide and lead the development of that open source project, or it might be under the umbrella of some corporation um, that is creating an open source project, but is in charge and is is um, guiding what happens with that open source project. So they have funding, they have centralization, they have kind of command and control of what's going on in that project. Bitcoin, I think, is unusual in that it's so decentralized and the people who are working on it are not working for a Bitcoin foundation. That was tried and didn't work. Um, and then they're not working for a specific company that is in charge of Bitcoin. Um, so we have this kind of distributed model of people working on the code, and that's that's pretty unusual, I think. All right. When... Um... When you have these kind of voluntary hobbyist contributors coming through, does it tend to – I know you've said some people tend to find out they want to work on this and want to get funding, but is there ever a case where, you know, someone like yourself or another lead contributor starts to notice someone's work come through or a specific person think, oh, who who is this person? And, and, and is there like a process to reaching out to them and talk to them and, and try and support them? Does that happen? Yeah, it happens a lot. It happened, I do it a lot. Um, okay. There's no formal process because there's no real formal process for anything in, in Bitcoin. But um, I'm certainly always on the lookout for potential new talent, promising talent. And I mentor several people. I have calls with them every week and help them kind of develop in, in their contributions to Bitcoin. That kind of started when I was working on the residency at Chaincode. Mm-hmm. I was always on the lookout for potential candidates for the residency, and Adam Jonas does a lot of this as well. But it's continued since I left Chaincode that you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always looking for people who I think have potential to contribute more. Well, that was great, because I remember our last one, we sat down afterwards with um, three of the the residents, <laughs> and I spoke to them, and then uh, Amiti's now been on the podcast herself. Um, yep. and it's great to see someone make that kind of progression uh in the world of bitcoin um uh, the, the chain code thing is obviously very interesting and c- kind of unique in in the way they've created their program um are there, is there anyone else doing anything similar to that not yet but uh, that's a very good <laughs> question to lead on to okay. the next thing that i wanted to talk about which is the organization that i'm setting up um called brink and okay. this is specifically to one fund established Bitcoin protocol developers and two to onboard and mentor new Bitcoin protocol developers. Um, so it's going to be a completely independent organization. I've left Chaincode. Um, it will be completely funded by donations and sponsorship from the public. Um, and the goal there is to be an independent hub for Bitcoin protocol development. So h- how is that different from Chaincode? Uh, different in terms of the funding model. So Chaincode is a private organization, research foundation um, that is funded by Alex and Suhas. And um, I mean, those guys have done so much for Bitcoin. They've mm-hmm. funded open source development. They've funded the residency. Um, they've funded Coin Center. They've done so much. And Brink is you know, similar in terms of the goals that want Bitcoin to succeed and, and fund open source development, um, but it's different that we are soliciting funding from the public. And I think that independence is is healthy for Bitcoin um, to have a, a diverse set of funding models for organizations funding open source development. Um, the other difference is Chaincode is predominantly a, a center for funding developers in New York. The residency was something that Matt Corrado started and then I continued. Um, it's not really the focus, it's become more of a focus for them. Brink will be you know, one of the two explicit focuses is to onboard new contributors. So I, I spend a lot of my time mentoring and onboarding um, and that's kind of central to the mission of Brink. But it will all be remotely done? Uh, the grants will be remote. 
So grants for established developers will be remote. So that's that's the first part. The second part, the onboarding new contributors, that will all be in person because um, that's the best way to learn. That's how you learn the fastest. In London? In London. Yeah, that's the plan. London. Great. Well, I'll tell you what's interesting about that. It just makes me think of something like... Uh, uh, Bear with the analogy, but something like mining at the moment, you know, people talk, constantly talk about the distribution of mining. Um, currently, it's kind of centralized around, uh, uh, well, historically centralized in China, and people would worry about something like that. So, I guess what you're trying to do here is decentralize a little bit, decentralize the onboarding of new developers. In that, like you say, New York is a hub. We could have a hub here in London. Wouldn't it be great if we had some, a few of these around the world? That would be great, yeah. And you know, ideally, in five or ten years' time, that would be the case that there will be lots of these Bitcoin development centers of different models funded in, in different ways um, around the world. So there's no one single point of control now. I think Bitcoin development is um, currently more distributed than it ever has been, and I hope Brink will continue that trend, and we'll see it continue further afterwards. Yeah. So, how will you? How would you coordinate with Chain Code and, say, the people at Blockstream or anywhere else? I mean, how does everyone coordinate to ensure there isn't any kind of doubling up of work and you know, people are kind of trying to head in the right direction? Does it does it work like that? Um, all of the coordination is through the Bitcoin Core project, um, and it's through open channels. So, mostly through the GitHub repo or IRC, Internet Relay Chat, it's a text chat protocol, or the mailing list, and all of those things are open communication medium. So um, anyone can go in and, and kind of audit the process of how decisions were made and how people, you know, how code got merged into the code base, and if anyone disagreed, what they disagreed about. So it's all, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty much all out in the open. Okay, that's some quite big changes over at Chaincode then, because obviously you've moved on and, and Matt moved on to Square. Um, mm -hmm. As I'm aware, Peter Willey went over to Chaincode. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So some quite big changes over there then. Yeah, Matt left. I'd say over a year ago mm. to start at Square Crypto. You know, I, I left last month because I moved back to London, and then um, Peter and also Mark Earhart moved to chain code um so yeah a little bit of little bit of turnover but we're all still working on the same goals which is to same make bitcoin goal. succeed so so what's the status of brink then are, are you are you just still early planning when are you when do you think you will be starting to issue grants i've been planning for several months um the okay. launch date will be well is in november so by the time your listeners are hearing this we, we, we will have launched already do you, do you have an actual date? Uh, currently planning for next Tuesday, which is the 24th. Um, but yes, been working on this for you know, several months now. Um, have funding from some, well, I have initial funding from John Pfeffer and Vences Casares to get the project off the ground. And then I have funding for the first grant and the first fellowship position. Um, so that will all be in the announcements and um, Hoping to announce our first fellow very soon. Good old John Pfeffer. Good old um, John Pfeffer. Yeah. Good old John. I, I love John. I, I haven't. You know what? I haven't seen him since uh, I think it was Le Bitconf. Um, but I really, really like that guy. I think he does so much. Just in the background, he's such a great guy. Okay, so I've, um, I don't know if you've listened to any of my interviews recently, I've been kind of like kicking and giving a bit of pressure to some people towards funding. Uh, and mm -hmm. sometimes I'm being asked like, okay, where to put it? And like, I don't know. I've got no idea. Well, now you do. Well, now I do. So, that, no, but that is interesting. So, so if people are wanting to fund, I could put them in. I guess in your direction. Um, yeah. I would have thought one of the things would be like, you know, again, here's a here's an interesting analogy. You know, when um, we usually get those old magazines, like they're like newspaper inserts, and they used to have things like um, you could adopt a tiger in there. <laughs> in in, uh, in like Africa or, or like a, and they would name it or like a maybe it would be um, like a dolphin and they'll give it a name and say well you can adopt 
Daphne or whatever. And uh, but you knew where you, you felt like you knew where your money was going, and you would get your letter every year and your birthday card from Daphne the dolphin or whatever. I think sometimes I could imagine people wanting to fund. Yes, they'd be interested in giving you a lump of money. I think if they knew exactly who they were funding, I mean, they they probably don't need a birthday card. But do you think that kind of thing would be a possibility? Um. I'm not sure if we'll be able to offer um, adopting a Bitcoin protocol <laughs> developer, um, but everything that we do will be out in the open. So like, transparency is going to run through this organization, you know, all the way you'll see who's being funded. Um, there'll be regular updates of what those people are doing with money. And the, the, the plan is this will be a 501c3 entity in the U.S., um, so we have an entity in the US already. We have filed for 501c3 status. And that means uh, that's a, non, a non-profit charitable organization. And that means people will be able to give tax exempt. So they'll be able to write, write that, that off against their taxes. Um, and that money will go towards funding Bitcoin open source development. So I, we will be the only organization that has that status that is 100% dedicated to Bitcoin protocol development. Currently, the Human Rights Foundation has something similar, mm-hmm. but obviously they have a much wider mission and, and do a lot of things. Um, Brink will be, hopefully, all things going well, we'll be a 501c3 where all the money that comes in will go towards funding Bitcoin protocol de- development. Yeah, I, I guess also the with regards to um, protocol development, the, the HRF are quite focused specifically on privacy they like supporting privacy projects obviously with the work they're doing around the world supporting human rights are there any specific areas of focus that brink will have will it focus on the main protocol will it will it consider lightning is there any kind of specifics um well the, the first the first employee is me and i work on bitcoin core and, and the base layer so mm-hmm. um i expect that'll be a focus but we are open to funding grants for any work on Bitcoin protocol, whether that's base layer or layer two, things like Lightning, um, and kind of related technologies to Bitcoin, anything that's advancing Bitcoin. Okay, what's what's it like for you going into this? Because this is a new kind of role for you. Then, if you're you know you are a protocol developer, but obviously you're going to have to be spending a, a lot more of your time on other things related, and potentially you may get to the point where you're doing a lot less development work if this if Brink really takes off. How do you feel about it? Yeah. That? Um, I, I don't like it. I don't like the, the <laughs> tedious admin work. Um, I hope yeah. to outsource that to other people in the organization and, and outside the organization. But yeah, it's taking time away from my development. Um, the reason I'm doing it is because I think it's important. No one else is, mm. no one else is starting an organization like this, um, as far as I'm aware. And I think it's probably the highest leverage thing I can do for Bitcoin. Um, bringing on, having an organization that exists to bring on new protocol developers and fund existing protocol developers brings much more benefit to Bitcoin than I could by writing code or reviewing code. So, yeah, that's why I'm so, doing this. Sounds like a mission, then. It's a mission. Yeah, of course it's it is. A mission. <laughs> it's a mission. So, what are you working on yourself then with Bitcoin right now? Um, well, we have zero point twenty one coming out the door pretty soon. Um, that's John, the next you're, you're saying core. that you say that like I know what that is. Come on. Man. Okay, so Bitcoin Core <laughs> is a software project, and we have releases every six to eight months. Okay. And the next release will be zero point twenty one, which we are in the final stages of putting together. That will be branched soon. Do you want me to explain what that means? <sighs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Go on. Go on. Okay. I don't. I, I. I. think I could make a guess, but I, I'd be embarrassed if I was wrong. So I'll let you explain it. Okay. Um, so in a software project, we we use a um, code management system called Git, where yeah, okay. changes get added to the code, and Git can have various branches. So there's a different kind of working versions of the code. The main branch we work on is called Master, and that's where all of the the latest development goes. And then at periodic intervals, we will create a new branch from that, which will be exactly the same at the point it branches. Um, and then those two branches will diverge. And that new that new branch is the release branch. So that new branch will be 0.21 in this case. Um, we will probably do that this week. And then that 0.21 branch will um, go through some release candidates. That means we'll kind of package it up and people will test it. And assuming no bugs are found, that will be the final release. And if bugs are found, there'll be a new release candidate. But 
you know, maybe there'll be two or three release candidates and then there'll be a version of the software that people can run. So okay. currently the Bitcoin Core project is um, mostly focused on getting that 0 0.21 release out. And then as soon as that is branched, master then becomes the code that will eventually become 22. Um, so there'll be new changes going into master. What's coming in 21? Any Anything I would be interested in? Oh, loads of stuff. Loads of is stuff. It, it's this, it's a this, massive release, yes. Is this the, is this the Taproot one? Uh, so Taproot is in there, um, yeah. the code for Taproot, not the activation. Okay. So Taproot won't be something you can use on mainnet with 21, but um, it is something you can use in test networks. So the code exists and it's been tested and reviewed. What else is coming in 21? Descriptor wallets and SQLite wallets. So these are um, quite big changes to the way the wallet is structured and backed by, by a database. Um, we completely overhauled the way that transactions are requested across the P2P network. What else do we do? Compact blocks. So the Neutrino, BIP157158 is now in Bitcoin Core. Um, Neutrino is um, that um, is that like uh, the mobile node thing? Yeah, that's yeah. Um, Neutrino is actually the name of the implementation from yeah. Lightning Labs. But the protocol um, allows a light client to download what's called a filter for each block. So you can have a light client that is downloading a filter, which might be like forty k instead of a megabyte, and that filter, the client will be able to tell from the filter whether there are any transactions in that block that they're interested in and then download the full block okay um, should probably remind people what taproot is oh okay well taproot is a future soft fork that may or may not happen we assume it will happen um, the previous soft fork was segwit and this is um, segwit version one scripts and um, there are two parts to it there are schnorr signatures and there's taproot and schnorr signatures are a new kind of signature, well, new for Bitcoin. They've been around for 30 years or so, and they actually predate ECDSA, which is the current signature format we use in Bitcoin. Um, but Schnorr signatures are better in basically every way. Um, the way they've been implemented in Bitcoin Core means the signatures and public keys are more compact. Um, you can do fun, fun tricks with them, like um, signature aggregation, which is not really possible uh, with ECDSA. So you can put multi-sig in, inside one signature, for example. Um, and lots of lots of cool stuff like that. The other part of it is Taproot, um, which is a way of putting multiple scripts into one output. Um, and then when you spend, you only have to use one of the scripts or you can use just a single signature. Um, and that means you can have much more complicated contracts and you don't need to um, reveal all of the conditions of that contract when you spend from that output. So it's really good for kind of more advanced functionality. It's really good for privacy because you're not revealing very much. It's good for scalability because the footprint on the chain is a lot smaller. It's good for fungibility because everything looks the same. Um, it's just a whole, a whole load of really cool stuff. And it can be used in things like Lightning or other contracts. Um, and I expect once it's in, you know, if it gets in, it will take the Lightning people and the other people writing smart contracts on Bitcoin you know, several years to get through all of the potential benefits you can get from Schnorr and Taproot. It just makes everything better. Next up, I talked to John more about funding Bitcoin development. But before that, I got a message from my super amazing sponsors. Okay, we're going to kick off with Kraken my favorite place for buying and selling Bitcoin. It's the only place I use right now for buying and selling Bitcoin. You wanna know why, right? Right, a couple of key things. Firstly, they are consistently rated the best and most secure cryptocurrency exchange. They also have the best in class in customer service. So if you've got any issue, whatever it is, whoever you are, whatever you are, if you reach out to them, they're gonna get that fixed for you. Also, if you wanna start trading Bitcoin, they have every possible tool you could need. So whatever your level of experience, if you sign up at Kraken.com, you can start trading Bitcoin. It could not be easier. They also have a beautiful mobile-first app, so you can trade Bitcoin on the go. 
and with their margin trading, futures and OTC desk, Kraken has every option covered for you. There is no better place to trade Bitcoin. You can find out more at Kraken.com or download the app. It's available for the iPhone and Android. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. And lastly, but never least today, is my good friends over at BlockFi. And did you hear their amazing new massive announcement? Yes. BlockFi is about to launch a Bitcoin Rewards Visa credit card. It's coming in early 2021. I've been very excited about this. I've known about it for a while. I literally cannot wait for this. So check this out. Card users can earn a market leading 1.5% rewards in Bitcoin for all their card purchases. There is a $200 annual fee, but there's a $250 bonus of Bitcoin if you spend 3K in the first three months. So you can stack sats with all your card purchases. Now, waitlist registration is open for registered BlockFi clients. And if you want to join the priority waiting list, then you need to open up a BlockFi account. The public waiting list is slated to open in early January. I cannot wait to get my card. Now, if you're interested in checking BlockFi out, I recommend you do your own research and then head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Look, I don't, I don't spend too much time in the technical sides of Bitcoin, but I notice there is a lot of excitement around Taproot. Um, I, I, you know, it's, it's beyond me, but I also noticed there, it seemed to be like some nerves around activating Taproot. I've seen some people on Twitter saying, come on, let's just go with it. And other people <laughs> just a little bit nervous. I saw one thread relating to a, a potential issue with it. I can't even remember what it was. It was so long ago. Um, what is that kind of status and what, what, what are the, ner- what's the nervousness around it? Um, I think the nervousness is post 2x trauma that's, um, it all got very politicized around SegWit and you know, no one wants to be in charge of Bitcoin. None of the developers want to be in charge of Bitcoin. They don't, I mean, that, that's, that's not the point. Nobody okay. wants to put themselves there. And so, you know, no one wants to step and step up and say, this is how Taproot will be activated. Um, that's the main thing. I think the technical changes are, I haven't seen any like serious opposition to them. Um, they're just generally good and they make Bitcoin better. So it's not really a technical question. It's more of a social question of actually how do you, how do you, how do you do it? You know, how, how does a decentralized system kind of uh, reach a decision point and, and make a change? Well, how does it? What's your view? <laughs> um, well, I'm not, I'm not in charge of Bitcoin feet, so I can't. It will be the, the problem with the way SegWit was activated, I think, for most people is that it gave the false impression that the miners chose what Bitcoin was, and they chose when changes would happen, and they, they got to define Bitcoin. That was never the intent. But it was one of the um, it was one interpretation of, of that activation method. And that is not the case. Miners are not in charge of Bitcoin. Um, users are, economic nodes are. And so people want to avoid that. People don't want to avoid another kind of 2x war um, and giving the impression that miners get to choose what Bitcoin is. So I think the way it will activate, it's the way a lot of people are thinking about it, is it will be similar to SegWit. It will be similar to um, Bit9. But there will be there will probably be a flag day upgrade after some time. So there will be the the normal minor signaling, and if it hits a threshold, then it will activate after the next you know, retarget. Um, but if we don't hit the signaling, then we will upgrade anyway after a year. Uh, it will be kind of a, a flag day. So in, in advance, we'll say this is uh, the date of the upgrade. Um, but I don't know. You know that, that stuff is still to be hashed out. 0.21 puts the code in and then the decisions and the conversations about activation come after that. Are there any risks with the activation? Yes. Um, there is, if some people activate and others don't, then you can have a, depending on exactly how that happens, you could have a chain split. Um, okay. Which is something that we want to avoid. So yeah. UASF, is um, something that happened with a SegWit activation, user-activated SoftWalk, and that was um, a bunch of 
Bitcoin users saying that after this date, we're going to enforce this rule. So if miners aren't enforcing it, um, they will be mining invalid blocks. And that carries the risk of a, a chain split because the miners could continue to mine blocks which are valid according to the old rules, but not valid according to these UASF nodes. Um, and so the UASF nodes follow one chain and the other nodes that have not activated, say with in that case, would follow another chain and that's a chain split. Okay. Well, we definitely want to avoid that. I mean, I've, I don't understand it and I'm pretty sure most of the stuff, I won't even see it. It'll all be baked into the, the lovely tools that people provide for me, but it's it's very interesting to he hear about it. And, and I can imagine also it must be quite stressful for certain developers working on this because you know, if you were to make a decision that would lead to a chain split or a major bug, you know, we're, you know, we're back at sixteen, what $16,383. There's a lot of value held in Bitcoin now. I, I would not want that kind of responsibility. Does it feel stressful sometimes? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I'm not sure if I use the word stressful, but... Um... Pressure? Pressure, yeah. Responsibility. Um, no one wants to put a bug into Bitcoin Core. Either at consensus, I mean, consensus le level would be the worst because mm -hmm. that can result in a change split. But even, you know, in the wallets, you, if you put a bug in there, you can cause people to lose money. In the P2P code, if you put a bug in there, you can cause the network to fail or split in some way. Um, so it's kind of, it is quite high stakes. And going back to your question about um is there enough funding for bitcoin or are enough people working on it if you look at the you, know, you said 16,300 what does that mean like 250 300 billion dollar yeah. aggregate value of the network and there's maybe 10 or 20 people working full time on bitcoin core is that in true in terms of full time probably yeah i'd say in the order of 20 now, there's a lot of people working on adjacent projects. There's people working on LibSecP. There's people working on Lightning. There's people working on you know, BTC Pay Server. Um, but if you kind of if you added up all of the people who are full time on Bitcoin or a very closely related project, it would certainly be less than 100, probably less than 50, I would guess. Wow. Um, which doesn't seem like that many if you think about an economy worth 300 billion dollars. Mm. Uh, maybe we should get more. Well, that. Yeah, I mean, it just mean it just requires more pressure on people who are benefiting from it to be able to contribute. I mean, I spoke to Brian Armstrong; and he was very open to it during the interview. I mean, I, I I wouldn't say I railroaded him, but like you know, I did I did just put it out to him, and he's like, yeah, and he stuck to his word, and he went out and and he did it, and they're now funding a, a couple of people. I know the uh, the Winklevoss brothers are looking to do the same. So I guess what I need to do is I need to go on a. a probably a exchange road show yeah uh, <laughs> just take the tin. put that uh put that killer question in into everyone and then send them send them your way but um but yeah no you, you're making you're making a really valid point because everyone has a interest in doing this everyone should be interested in doing this i do think something though what hmm, are there scenarios where funding can dry up like what if something happened to chain code or brink you know what would happen in, in those kinds of scenarios? Would they be a disaster? Um, I, I think if something happened to chain code, it would be it would be problem. I mean, it would be a problem because they fund so much good work. But I think the important thing is that we make Bitcoin development resilient to single points of failure. Mm -hmm. um, that's one of the reasons that I wanted to start Brink. Um, we can't just rely on chain code to do all of the lifting, right? They, they do. I'm very grateful to all the work they do, but it shouldn't just be them funding everything. Um, and they're not. There's there's also MIT DCI. There's also Square Crypto, Blockstream, DG, BitMEX, and OKCoin are, are funding grants. So it's, like I said a, a bit earlier, it is the most decentralized and distributed it's been in the history of Bitcoin. But let's let's keep moving in that direction so that at some point, maybe your question won't even, you know, won't even be valid like at, at some point if there are say 10 organizations funding bitcoin and the question was what if one of those goes under then it's not, not a big so, deal yeah 
survivable but that is that, that feels like there's, there's been a lot of progress in the like last 12 to 18 months i think the square what square are doing is is quite interesting um it does feel you know what you're doing now um it does feel like something's happened over this last 12 to 18 months interestingly primarily during a bear market as well yeah i, I agree it's it's getting better um, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna speculate on whether it's it's a market or not but i you know hopefully if in 12 months time bitcoin is worth 10x then a lot more people will be feeling generous with funding open source yeah. development we need to put some pressure on paypal as well yeah absolutely well that, that's the thing though if the pro- if the price does continue to accelerate there are going to be a lot more people who have an active interest in defending it i mean yeah micro strategy is an interesting one because i spoke to michael sailor about that he obviously invested yep. 450 million dollars uh, of the money from his company and then a, a massive amount of his own something like 175 million dollars i mean he's pushing you know aggregate value across his investments of around 750 million dollars he has an int- he has an interest in protecting bitcoin um and there will be lots of other people like that i expect like you say over the over the coming years, um, especially, I mean, if Bitcoin was to do a, a 10x, there's plenty of individual people who, who will be quite Bitcoin wealthy. Um, and I've seen some interesting things in uh, people creating ways to support, like almost Patreon-style support developers, where you can put yeah, $100 here, $200 there. Um, but I guess that's, whilst that's good and that's helpful, in some ways having significant large chunks from an, from an organization like you're building it's probably a bit better. It's a, it's a, it's a lot less for the individual to worry about knowing. Okay, I've got this guaranteed amount of money every year coming from Brink. Right. Yeah. It, it'll be a twelve-month grant. You know, potentially rolling over multiple years. I agree that the patron model is good and it's admirable that people want to do that. I have questions about the sustainability. Um, I have questions about how people on the outside choose who to who to patronize yeah it's very difficult from the outside to look at bitcoin development and and know who is making valuable contributions and who has a history of making valuable contributions and i i fear the risk is that the developers who are most active on social media will be the ones who receive the the patronage and the That's ones who are heads point. down doing work, doing you know useful, valuable work, will not be as successful in raising funds that way. Um, so that's you know that's one reason that I think Brink is a useful intermediary there. That um, I and the rest of the Brink team have a very good sense of who is working on the protocol, who's made valuable contributions, and who has the potential to keep doing that. And we can we can hold them to account a lot better than um you know an individual patron who's giving five dollars a month you know we can say this person signed up for a grant and they said they would deliver this in 12 months and they have and here are the results um so i hope that's something that we can do well that's an example of where trust and kind of centralization of certain ideas work better um Mm -hmm. you know I, i would rather trust putting my money with someone like yourself having known you for a while knowing the work you do knowing where you would put the money because like you said, I mean, it's not just the people active on social media. Some people just wouldn't be good at selling themselves. If I, right. you know, if I see a page of developers, how, how would I know? You know, how yeah. would I know who to support? Um, and it, and it's, it, it tilts the incentive towards selling oneself rather than doing mm. work, right? If, if you're incentivized to sell yourself and market yourself to receive patronage, then you will spend proportionally more time, more of your time and energy selling yourself and less time working on the code than if you can get a grant for a year where you don't need to worry about funding you know you, you're successful in getting the grants and then you work for 12 months on delivering the thing you said you would deliver um now i'm, I'm not saying people shouldn't use patronage you know if that works for people great and that's a, a, a different and yet yet another more diverse funding model um but i think there are advantages and disadvantages to it mm. have you set yourself any specific kind of targets well, I'd like to hire two fellows this year so that the the onboarding slash mentoring scheme is called the fellowship. Um, uh-huh. And that will be full-time employees, essentially working in London out of the office here. Um, I'd like to get two of those on board. And then the, indiv- the 
independent grants, you know, as many as possible, as, as long as I can find people who are qualified and skilled and will use those grants well, the more I can fundraise for and award, the better as far as I'm concerned. But kind of fundraising targets in terms, obviously it'd be great if somebody comes to you and says, here, John, I'm going to write you a million pound check. Um, yeah. but, do you, but do you take grants of all sizes? Like, would you take, uh, mm-hmm. sorry, not grants of all sizes, contributions of all sizes, and do you take them in pounds, dollars, and Bitcoin? Um, certainly take them in dollars and Bitcoin and probably can take them in pounds. You know, dollars I expect to be predominant because, um, you know, it's how people make payments in the US and they'll be able to write those off tax exempts. Um, if people want to give Bitcoin, that's fine. We'll probably sell the Bitcoin for dollars. You know, unlike Michael Saylor, I don't have a $500 million treasury. All, all yeah. of the money will be working capital, capital. So it would have to be in dollars to pay our expenses. But yeah, we, we would take donations. Um, I think we have an explicit goal to have a diverse set of funders. Um, you know, it'd be better not to take more than, say, 25% of our funding from any one individual, mm-hmm. um, just in case if that person goes away, then, you know, wouldn't destroy the business or they don't have any undue influence over what we're doing. But yeah, we, we, we want to take funding from diverse people and organizations and put it to good use. Have you set up a, you must have a website by now. Uh, there will be one. In the process. There will be. And that's, yeah. and will that be ready on Tuesday? That'll be ready. Yeah, brink.dev. Brink.dev. And that's going to explain. And, and can you just, can you donate online? Yep. All yes, right, you okay. Um, up sure. to $5,000 worth. Up, yep. to, up, up to? Up to. And anything higher than that, you'd need to contact us because um, because of the regulations around nonprofits. We need to get your address and um, do our do our diligence because so we're can a legal you, entity. Can you make lots of individual... Payment. So for ex- no 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 I don't mean it like that. So for example, say for example, if I wanted to contribute and a small amount of my profit, and I wanted to just do it monthly, yep. do, do you suddenly hit a level where then you would have to get in touch? Does yes, I think so. I think it's five thousand a year. Above okay. that, we need to put it on our annual filings as a five hundred one c three. So another just a, a question, interesting. Now you're back in the UK. What do you feel about like the Bitcoin community, Bitcoin development? What do you, what's your feel for it here in the UK as opposed to the US? Because as you know, I've traveled out there extensively, you know, spent a lot of time in New York and yep. uh, San Francisco and LA, and there is a vibrant Bitcoin community. I've never really felt it here. Now, I don't know if that's my fault for not trying to stick my head in, into it and see where it exists, or if it just doesn't really exist. How have you found it? Uh, well, I've, I've moved back in the midst of a pandemic, so there's no, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's no community anywhere um there are a few organizations here that are working on bitcoin nothing like what exists in new york and san francisco um but there are people and they just need to be connected and we need to have a a regular technical meetup and that'll be the the seeds of the community that will will grow i think over time um so i i suddenly plan to spend some of my time working on that as soon as things are open we'll be doing regular technical meetups but there is one at the isn't there one is it michael folkestone folkestone i forget his name yep michael folkestone has been running yeah. meetups yep yeah will you will you be attending that or do you think there'll be another different one like will there be like a you know like the one i've been to in new york or san francisco or is yeah the there'll be i i hope to start doing socratic seminars just like socratic like we've had in in san francisco and new york yep <laughs> Yeah, I enjoy those. I have no idea what anyone's talking about, but I do enjoy enjoy going to them. Yeah, I just, I feel like I've maybe personally neglected London, like sticking my head in there and seeing what's happening or even trying to help and support. Like, can I, how can I help and support you with this? I mean, obviously we can put this show out there. What other things can I do or people listening do? Um, I think funding, funding is is what we need. Um, funding for brink so we can pay developers and, and pay grants um the so i should say that the initial funding that i got from john and Vences covers me and covers our admin costs so um the funding that comes in from now on will, will 
go to grants and go to fellowships. So there's no kind of cut for us. Um, it's a nonprofit, so you know there's there's no equity for me. But it, it's 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 good work, so I'm I'm happy about that. Um, in terms of how you can help, just just uh, the show and and maybe fund a bit and come along to the meetups when we start them in in London. Is is there any way of under? Because what I don't understand is how much money, like how much money goes how far. Like, is is there like a general kind of average? Like if if you had like fifty thousand dollars, that would fund a dev for a year. Is there a certain range? Is there any way of kind of understanding that? Because I think one of the things is when I go out talking to people like this, they they kind of want to understand amounts they can chew sure. off. And so if I I could say so, well, look, if you give a hundred thousand dollars or one hundred fifty thousand, whatever the number is, that's probably going to uh, fund say two developers. Is it is there any way of quantifying that? Um. Well, to be competitive, software developers, depending on where you are in the world, might be on 100,000, 150, okay. 200. Wow. It might be lower than that, might be higher. It, it, the market is very um, different around the world. Um, mm-hmm. I know in like Silicon Valley, if you start at like a Google or a Facebook, you'll be starting on six figures plus, um, and it will go up from there. You know, it might be lower in London, might be lower still in in other parts of the world, but I would I would think for a skilled Bitcoin protocol developer, six figure dollars would be the starting point, and then up from there, depending on experience. Wow. Okay. So so there's there's some quite ambitious funding targets that you've got to reach then. Yep. Yeah. And you're out there selling. You're knocking on doors, John. I, I have been a bit. Once we go public, I'll be doing a lot more of that. Yeah, but I should say, if you agree with me that Bitcoin is you know, one of the most important projects in the world. Is, like, is the, <laughs> the single most important project in the world. It's the most important thing that humans have ever invented. Um, then we want to be competitive. We want the best people mm-hmm. in the world working on this. Um, and passion passion goes quite a long way, but people should be compensated according to their skill. And, you know, if they can earn twice as much going and working at Google, maybe we'll lose some of those people. So yeah, working on an open source project that you are passionate about means a lot, um, but you should also be compensated. Uh, well, I'm going to bash on some doors here. I'm going to, I'm going to moan at some people and tell them to give some money to you guys to help you out with it. Um, because actually people have been very receptive and I, I I, I don't think it's just because I put them on the spot in an interview and pressured them. I think they understand it. I think once you start talking to people about it, so especially say with um, actually both with the Vinklevoss and 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 when I spoke to Brian Armstrong at Coinbase, it wasn't just like a conversation on the, on, on the interview. Follow, they they both did follow ups. They both asked questions. They wanted to speak to people. They wanted to understand more about it. They were very receptive, and I think. I think perhaps sometimes you can get so busy building your business, you forget about the importance of something like this. But when a, a, a light is shone upon it, I think like in both of those scenarios, they realized how important it is and, and how important it is for their business. Because we, without the open source developers, we they don't have a business they can build upon. It becomes a right. lot more high risk. Um, right. It's, it's a platform that, that those companies are built on. So it is in their strategic interest that it continues to run and i think there's a there's maybe a misunderstanding outside the bitcoin technical community about what bitcoin protocol developers do um i think maybe people think that bitcoin is done that satoshi released version 0.1 and there are a few bugs that were fixed in like 2011 and and now we're done um and that the protocol is now ossified and and there's no more work for developers um that's not the case there's lots of work to do um there are quite frequently bugs that get fixed and we don't necessarily make a lot of noise about it and another thing to keep in mind is there's this you should distinguish in your mind between changes to the protocol and work on the implementation bitcoin core so changes to the protocol are very infrequent segwit was the last one taproot will probably be the next one um and it's not something that we change very much, but that doesn't mean we're not doing any work. We're doing a lot of work on the implementation of Bitcoin Core, and there are parts around Bitcoin Core like the P2P stack, other parts of it, the build system, you know, lots and lots of moving pieces to that software project that need continuum, continual maintenance. 
um, just like any other software project. So there's a lot of work, even if Bitcoin, the protocol does not change frequently, there's a lot of work for software developers. And if they're not doing that work and fixing bugs and testing releases, then the whole system could fail for some other reason. So yeah, go, go find your local Bitcoin protocol developer. Adopt a Bitcoin developer. Will this um, ossification ever likely happen? Because I've heard it talked about. I don't know if we'll ever reach a point where the protocol never changes again, but we're trending in that direction, and I expect that to continue. Um, I don't think we'll see more frequent soft forks in, in the future. We might see more, but they will be less frequent, you know, maybe every five years or 10 years. Or, But I, you know, I don't know. I know as well as you. Do you think we'll ever see a hard fork? Um, I'm not going to say never. I think mm. I think it would be it's almost religious zealotry to say never. Like if there was a critical protocol bug that could only be fixed with a hard fork, then we would hard yeah. fork, right? Because yeah, because we we want Bitcoin to continue. Yeah, you know, I think it's unlikely in the near future, but I don't know. I still imagine a scenario at some point block size will come up again and be discussed. I can imagine that. Yeah, potentially. I do. You know, I, I can imagine if Bitcoin continues to grow and continues to be successful, continues to adopt, uh, adoption continues, I can imagine that conversation comes up again. It will be highly controversial. It will be a civil war again. But I, I can see it coming up again. Well, okay, so before we finish up, what, what are the – you talked about the next release coming up that's going to have the – code for taproot what beyond this what, what are the other really interesting or really important things that are coming up for bitcoin that need to be worked on i think digesting taproot like activating it and then so activating writing the code is the first thing or no, mm -hmm. let's go go back even further thinking of the idea is the first thing and that mm -hmm. happened in like 2017 and then and refining that idea and writing the implementation and that's and then reviewing the implementation and getting it merged that's where we are now um, next up is activation. That's you know the, probably the most political, interesting part of it. If you're you're into social dynamics, but then the work is not done at that point. The work continues, which is actually making use of those new features in the protocol, and that that is something that will take several years because you can make changes to Lightning that makes Lightning more efficient and and better in many ways. Um, you can have more interesting other other more interesting contracts built on top of Taproot and Lightning that you can make safer multi-sig, um, all kinds of things. And so those products and contracts that are built on top of Shinora and Taproot, I think that's probably the story of the next few years. Um, wow. It's just like such a such a large space of potential you know, innovations you can create on top of that feature. Um, it will take a long time to explore and and fully you know exploit all of those possibilities not to say that other interesting work is not going on like Zcash, aprev out um opsy tv other potential future forks and those could allow other interesting contracts but i think there's just so much to be done with with schnorr taproot that that'll that'll be the focus for a lot of people and how are you feeling generally um good, I, th I, I think this last Certainly, this last six months has been very exciting. Um, I, th I think it's the one saving grace of these lockdowns and pandemics is the industry that we both work in. It's just it's become super exciting. The interest in Bitcoin has grown, and yeah, you know, probably in part because of the pandemic and and the economic impact. But um, it's just been a really, really interesting six months for me. So, uh, do you echo that? Yeah, I agree. On a personal level, um, the lockdown meant that I I spent. Now, initially, I spent less time doing things like traveling and, and speaking at conferences and mm -hmm. planning the residency and more time working on the code. And that was really refreshing. Um, obviously, doing less of that now because of Brink. But I agree. Yeah, people have been doing people have been doing really interesting things. Um, this it's a great time to be in Bitcoin. Well, that's a great way to end it. Okay, tell people where to find out more information and what you want them to do. Brink.dev. Brink.dev. Find everything there. Get your checkbooks out, get your get your ledger out, get your multi-sig wallet out, get your dollars out, your Bitcoin out, support 
open source development, support Brink, support John. Um, everything I can do to help, just let me know. But I will, um, I'll certainly be trying to point some people in your direction. And if I ever blow this media business up into something, hopefully I can make a solid contribution at some point as well. Thanks, Pete. I appreciate that. All right, mate. Take care, and I will see you soon. Okay. Okay, what do you think of that one? Did you enjoy that? Did you enjoy listening to John? Look, I love what John is doing. I think sponsoring and supporting devs is something that is often overlooked, and it's something I will definitely keep bringing up in interviews and keep pushing for people to do their bit, and I'll be sending some of them, hopefully, in John's direction. I also think it's really cool that this is happening in the UK. Most of these hubs of Bitcoin developers are in places like New York or San Francisco, so I love that he's grown that community in London. And once the lockdown is over, I will be heading down there to check out what he's doing and catch up with John at some point. Anyway, listen, I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you listened to it. I know, as I said before, it's not as exciting as talking about a $500,000 Bitcoin, but do you know what? $500,000 Bitcoin means nothing without funded developers. So I'm glad you listened. I'm glad you got this far. Hopefully you share it out and we'll keep putting the pressure on to get more money into Bitcoin dev. If you've got any questions, you do want to reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. I do reply to everyone, so please feel free to get in touch if you've got any questions. Also, if you want to support the show, please just go and leave me a review on iTunes. It takes a couple of minutes, five stars if you think I deserve it, one star if you think the show's shit, but, you know, please email me first. Let me know why. Outside of that, have a great weekend. Love you all. Too. Oh, forgot to say, also check out Defiance. Episode 4 of Chaos is out. That's at defiance.news. And like I say, have a great weekend. I love you all, and I will see you all next week.